you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as we have been involved and we will pause in this chapter for a significant period of time as there is so much for us to unpack. Romans chapter 12, we'll look at verse 3 in just a moment. Welcome, welcome every single one of you. My dad would say, it's cold as a tax collector's heart out there. You know, I was thinking, though, as we drove in, and it was reading, we had two at the house. I know that somebody else, I think Farrensville was boasting again that they're negative one. Um, guys, guys parking us in the freezing cold. And I just want to thank those that are serving in the way that they are. For those that came in, it was nice and warm and cozy, and people had coffee for us, and the fireplace is on. We are so blessed to have this place, to be warm, to be able to be together, and to see the difference of all of the people as we serve together. Um, just listening to Pastor Aaron this morning in his call to worship, He's flabbergasted. I think the word was flabbergasted over the concept of male. Our younger generation. Well, there's, there's like a white truck. And, and the steering wheel is on the opposite side. And a guy with a blue suit. Okay, we kind of know like this is really. We think about how different every single one of us are. With the view that we have. Over these next couple weeks, we're able to see all of the differences of how we view life and how God in his infinite and perfect and sovereign and providential design calls us all together to work for his glory, to build up the body, but it's for his glory. And I love the differences that exist and we will see that as we kind of unpackage this amazing chapter before us of how we use the gifts that God has given to us in a unique way, but for one purpose and for one purpose alone. We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord's just anointing upon this time, um, thanking the Lord for this opportunity, and that we would have ears to hear what he has for us this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing and in your grace for allowing us to gather in cold day outside, and yet it is so precious and warm and beautiful as we are together worshiping you inside. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us, and we just pray that we would have a tent of hearts we know, Lord, that um, there are stresses and strains and worries and fears that just abound in the world around us. I pray, Lord, that you would give to us a sense of peace this morning. Lord, you're in control. There's nothing that happens outside of your, your perfect will. I pray, Lord, for those that right now are not able to join us, as there's many that are struggling with sickness and illness. And I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen their bodies, allow them to be able to be in fellowship once again. Father, I pray, Lord, those that are struggling with a sense of just anxiety, that you would minister comfort, that your peace, that promises to be beyond all understanding, would be present in lives. Father, we rejoice in, in the protection of, of Art and Linda Gray this past week. And Lord, we just see your hand over us. And I pray, Lord, that we would never, we would never wake up another day without understanding who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit that, that quickens and awakens our heart. And I, I pray, Lord, that that this time together as we learn as a church how to be obedient and faithful, that we would be fervent in our obedience and our striving towards holiness. Please help me, please help me. Just guide my words and my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing name 
matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It's a relatively slow pace, just one verse. Romans chapter 12, I'll direct your attention to verse 3. The words will be in front of you on the screen. It says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The word of the Lord. If, if you recall the author, the Apostle Paul, began this chapter, we looked in verse 1, by the mercies of God. And now we see in verse 3, by the grace that is given. Once again, what the author is doing is he's drawing our attention, mercy and grace, to that which we simply do not deserve. Paul, the one who has been called and gifted by God, begins to write to these Roman believers, and he's making it expressly clear that the mercy of God, the grace of God, is through no merit of his own. And it's proven by the very first phrase that we look at in our verse this morning. It's proven by these words, by the grace given to me. The first point I want to remind you of this morning is that grace has been simply extended to you. Grace, the word charis in, in Greek, simply means unmerited favor. There's no merit of its own. It's divine influence upon one's heart, and now it's what? It's our reflection of that in the way that we are to live our lives. And it has been given or extended. To extend something simply means to hold something out, to offer, to make it available. What I thought is that we are just taking the first step or two into another new year. As we officially launch into 2022. And it just kind of sounds weird to even write that or say that 2020. It sounds like something from a sci-fi movie. Like this is 2022. As we step into, through the doors of another year, let me tell you this. Now more than ever before, we have got to get our heads on straight. We have got to have a proper way of, of thinking if you think about this entire study in the book of Romans so far, chapters 1 through 11, there's been a doctrinal, or, or what? There has been instruction that has been given. And now we see in chapters 12 through 16, it's application, or it's exhortation. And, and to start with, as we kind of begin this year and begin this chapter, we have to have an understanding of this. Totally different than anything else, you cannot and you will never be able to slap down a card and say, I'll take 50 bucks worth of grace. It doesn't happen like that. We saw in the paper this week that somebody won local a million dollars because the right numbers were chosen, just randomly chosen. There's no... Uh, Winning numbers to grace. It's not like if it aligns, like, whoa! There's no winning numbers to it. You cannot earn grace. You cannot work for it. It is something that is simply given to you. And this, this is hard to accept because we are conditioned what? We're conditioned to do we're conditioned to work, to achieve, and we're conditioned to not receive. The reason being that if you are able to give, it keeps you on the top. But if you're receiving at some level, it kind of says what? That we must be needy. We've been raised with this mantra, what? If, if you want to succeed, you got to grab it. If you want to succeed, you better, you better take it because it's not going to be given to you. So we are raised with that mantra. Now there's this idea that is hard for us to just simply receive, be receptive. So difficult. Oswald Chambers writes this. It, it is an amazing quote. The gospel of the grace of God awakens an intense longing in human souls and an equally intense resentment. 
Because the truth that it reveals is not palatable or easy to swallow. There's a certain pride in people that causes us to what? Give and give. But to come and to accept a gift is another thing. I will give my life to martyrdom. I'll dedicate my life to service. I will do anything, but do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner and tell me that all I have to do is accept a gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Grace given is a great reminder for all of us because it forces us What? As receiving it, it forces us away from boasting or bragging or having pride or being puffed up in any way. It simply means as it is extended to you, it's been offered to you, it must be received with humility. It has to be. Grace extended number two. Grace has to be understood. Therefore, Paul writes what I say to everyone, not to think more highly than you ought to think. One one translation uh, translates it like this. Don't think that you're better than you are. Now, if you recall, I I said we're going to kind of slow the pace down. When it comes to just that one phrase, we could have have months, we could have month-long series on that one phrase. Could spend an entire year on. Don't think you're more like better than anyone else. The reason being is that we live in a culture that is what? It is totally egocentric, self centered. We live in a culture and we are reminded what we are obsessed with self. And, and you, you're given messages that it is about yourself. And we talk about self-improvement and self-help. I don't need someone else to help me. I can do this myself. We talk about what? The increasing of our self-esteem. And so there's this constant, constant Kind of focus on what you can develop. You can hone and sculpt and perfect and present and polish yourself into some kind of an image that what? Others are impressed with us. I don't know if we've ever lived in a more, what, self-indulging or self-promoting time than right now. Listen to this example, an illustration some time ago. An international test... Multiple countries tested mathematics was administered to children from 10 different countries. There were two parts to the test. Number one, the first part was mathematical competency. Okay, how well you can do this. The second part of the test was based on feelings of self-esteem with respect to the student's performance. Two ironies, observations stood out. Korean students were last in their estimation of their performance. And they were first, they were number one in competency. And what, on the other hand, American students tested dead last in mathematical competency and they were first in self-esteem. Why? Because that's who we are. A high view Must have been a problem with the test. Because I know it wasn't my problem. And mom and daddy probably wrote notes. Like how dare you expect my child. And there's this what? This inflated. There's this puffed up. And this is not new to us. This isn't shocking for us. And we raise this, yeah, but we have to have, we have, to have confidence. We, we have to have confidence in. And that is correct and that is important. But today what we need to learn from the authority of Scripture is what is it specifically that we're to have confidence in? All of our focus goes to what? We have confidence. The simple fact that we have been extended something and it is God's grace. His sovereign grace that we are to have confidence in. You wake up in the morning and your eyes open and you are amazed that by God's grace you're given the ability to see one more day 
and you swing your legs out of your bed and you test them. And I am, I am amazed that in God's grace, he's given me one more day to stand on my own two feet. And I take one step and we, we breathe in grace and we see it everywhere. We don't deserve this. You can't buy this. It's simply offered to you. When you begin to understand and comprehend the idea that it's all about God's grace, there's nothing really in it that I can do. I, I think when we begin to accept grace, that's when we offer it to others. As opposed to have these expectations that are totally like, who do you think you are? Of course you're going to screw up. We all have. But by God's grace, he what draws us together and uses us for his glory. It's a, it's a conditioning of our hearts at our very nature in the depths of my own heart. I stand in rebellion to a holy God. And I tell you what, that, that keeps me from boasting. It keeps me from bra- bragging. It should keep any one of us. That's the reason that Paul writes and he, and he uses this term. He says what? Sophronio. I want you to think soberly. It's a word that we don't really use regularly today. I want you to think soberly. This is not about like, well, you're not to be drunk. It's not that. To think soberly means that you have to have um, the, the, you put your head on right. You put your head on straight. A sound mind. You think right. You think moderately. You think modestly. You think, we could even say correctly, or you think carefully. Think Before you speak, ask, ask yourself this question. Does this puff me up? Is, is the statement that I'm going to make draw attention to myself in some way? If this, if this is going to, to intentionally make me look better than someone else, then here's the instruction this morning. Don't even say it. If in doubt... Don't. If in doubt, don't. Now we have to be careful here because just as we're instructed not to think too highly of ourselves, I think it's implied here. It's not direct. But we also have to, when we come to a sober understanding, think correctly, we also don't think too lowly about ourselves. I think this is very important because many people have been raised in homes we could sadly say what? They, they weren't brought up. They were, they were drug up. That there's people here today that have, have been raised with this mantra of hearing from their father or their mother. What? You are no good. You're so stu- Why would you do that? I'm so disappointed with you. The people have been raised with that sense of understanding. That they're, that they're worthless, that they're no good, that they could never succeed. And that is totally wrong. We have to see ourselves, what? We have to think soberly, correctly, accurately. Do you realize who you are? You have been what? Designed. You've been put together, knit together. Chosen since the very foundations of the earth were set. That God has designed you. And he, he loves you so much he offered his own son to die for you. And he adopts you into his own family. That you are a child, a son, a daughter of the king. That you are loved infinitely. doesn't matter what someone else has told you. We don't think too highly, but we also certainly don't think too lowly of ourselves. If we don't think too highly and we don't think too lowly, it begins to, in a sense, kind of level the playing field of all of us together. Um, this past summer, and I figured, you know, it's two degrees out, so let's talk about something. We had, what, if you recall, three months, 12 consecutive weeks 
where we commissioned, okay, we, we knighted the, the party patrol. And we were just going to, after, after just seasons of being separate and isolated, we're going to spend the whole summer together. Remember that? And every single Sunday, who came up with this idea? I don't know, but it was like really, really wild and a lot of work. But we had what we were constantly together every single Sunday. Let's kayak together. Let's, let's bike together. Let's have a party together. The, one of the very first weeks, I think it was the first week, was in June. And I think, to tell you the truth, one of my favorite weeks of all the activities that we did was like the good old-fashioned Sunday school picnic that we had out on the lawn. We had barbecues. And remember, we had the little egg thing and the, uh, the shaving cream with the water pistol. And, and we had, if you remember, tug-of-war. And I grew up in camp, and I'm just a tug-of-war fan. And I remember distinctly, okay, you got like McDermott anchoring the adults, and it's the adults versus the children. And when I was amazed by this, and I love this, is I remember one time the kids won tug-of-war. Like, they beat all, all the adults, all the, ooh, yeah, you know. And the kids, because there was just a slew of them. There's just so many of them. And the kids, what, well, pulled all of the adults across the line. And what I love about that idea is that there's never what, there can't be a lot of, like, chest bumping on that one. There's not, like, one kid who says, yeah, I did it. It just doesn't work like that. You take, you know, what, 39, 49 pounds, whoever. Like, that, that one, that one didn't win. But all of them together, and there's that many, and they're just pulling. They're just pulling. They got one thing. You just pull. You pull until we tell you to stop pulling. And they what? And they move the mountains of the adults. That's the idea of what it looks like. We, it's not like one person here. It is all... You put all of us together. Do you realize you are part of the most powerful, the most influential force for good that God has designed for the gospel to go forward. You are part of the local church of Jesus Christ. Every single organization that exists out there, there is nothing, there is nothing that comes before your role pulling alongside others in the life of the local church. That's why this is so important. You don't think too highly, don't think you're special, okay? But I tell you what, you better be on that rope. Because there's, there's, no, there, there's no way, okay? A body doesn't function properly when part of it is missing. Part of it is gone. That's what we use about the old get a grip. You can't just, like, remove certain parts. That's why it's important. When it's two degrees outside, and there's a lot of apocalyptic snowstorm, you're probably never going to make it home. You probably die tonight. But you get up, and you're going to dress warm, and you're going to come, you're going to lift up your voices. And you're going to open the word of God. And you're going to allow the Holy Spirit just to what? Just draw you and ignite your heart to be who God has designed for you to be. Part of the local church of Jesus Christ. Grace has been extended. Grace needs to be understood. Thirdly and finally, grace has got to be exercised. What do we do? What do we, what do we do with this gift that has now been given to us, undeserving? Thank you. Let's, let's bury it. That plan went well, didn't it? Let's just hold on. This is bury it. We are to exercise this. We are to use this. We're to practice it according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, when we, we automatically hear that, the measure of faith, I, I tell you what, I see a measuring cup, okay? It's like, ooh, a little bit, you get a little bit, and you, whoa, don't go there. Let me just clarify. The phrase can be translated a couple different ways. The way it's used here in Romans is not emphasizing the quantity. It's not emphasizing the amount, but rather what it is, it's, it's emphasizing the object 
or the idea of faith itself. And we see this, we actually studied this, this goes all the way back to Romans chapter 4. Listen to this, it says in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, <clears throat> excuse me, he has something to boast about. But, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. Therefore, what? Faith is simply having trust in the firm promises of God. And it talks about the fact when there's a message, some have it. Some have faith in God's righteous requirement that what? My sin, your sin has been paid through the, the one and all time atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood was, was, was poured out, as we remember in our community in just a moment, for us. We have faith in that. Some people have faith in what Jesus Christ has done and other people do not have faith in that. That's what we're praying for our community. This phrase means the measure that is faith. It's not the amount, it's the object of. All of that to say that Christians must live, we must see, we must examine our lives in the light of the gospel of Jesus. When we see ourselves in the unflattering truth that we are sinners. Now, I, I am certain that if you're visiting today or you're listening today, you, you've heard that idea. You heard it right out of the gate with Matt leading us in worship. You heard it right out of the gate with Pastor Aaron leading us in our call to worship. There's this idea like, man, you guys talk about like being sinners a lot. And, and I'm sure at some level, like, I got enough, I, I get it. We can't lose that. That's the essence of the gospel. If we lose the fact that there's something in us that, well, we're really not that bad, that's when grace becomes what? Taking a heretical extreme. So we have to see ourselves in light of that truth. When we hold on to that, that's when the boasting subsides. That's when there's nothing to brag about. You, you, you get it? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has aligned. Now this whole text is preparing us for something. And it's preparing us down through the section all the way through verse 8. That we're just going to pause on. We're not going to get there today, but I think at some level we have to prepare ourselves about the subject to come. And the reason that this is really difficult is because God actually does what? He distributes certain gifts, and there's some gifts given to some people that are not given to other people. And that's why we begin to boast and brag in and of ourselves. Now, the word gifts is used actually only one time. It's used in verse 6, but the entire section speaks about that. And so what we need to do is begin to learn and prepare next week when we look at, okay, what is this gift? And these gifts as we examine each one. And where do I fit as every single one of us are holding on to the rope and we're pulling for all that we're worth? What's my job? You ever ask that? Like, why, why does this seem like I don't fit in? Everyone else is doing something. They get to make coffee. I don't get to do that. Why is some people up singing and other people? So when we have this idea, we have to begin to say, well, how does this function? How do we use our gifts alongside of one another properly in the context of the local church? Now, Romans chapter 12 stands alone in the book of Romans, alongside of Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they both speak of spiritual gifts. Now, just to clarify, when I use this phrase, we want to understand what, what a spiritual gift is. It's not the ability or the talent that someone has to sing, or, or Eddie Van Halen on the guitar back there in the Hawaiian shirt, okay? That's not necessarily a spiritual gift. He is gifted, he is talented, but that's not what we're talking about right here. You can ride a unicycle. Wonderful. That's not what we're talking about. What we talk about here is spiritual gift is that God actually imparts to believers 
something, at least one. Some of you have multiple spiritual gifts. I envy you, forgive me, being honest. And they are used for the express image of what? Building up the body of Christ or edifying the body so that together we want live for the glory of God. We make God look even better and bigger than he is. That's what the gifts are used for in the local church. Whenever we begin to deal with the subject of spiritual gifts, it gets really prickly. It gets really sensitive. It gets really, really touchy subject because the reason is, is that when God chooses to give one spiritual gift to one person, guess what? He's probably choosing to withhold another spiritual gift from another person. And that's where we struggle because what? Everything has to all be the same. You all get the participation award, right? So we, we struggle with that because we're like, well, why, why didn't I get what he got? Why, didn't, why, why can't I do what she can do? It also is difficult because what? We have this idea that, well, if, if this gift has been given to me from God, God has given me, we, we have this ability to kind of have an over-inflate it. Even if you have one, it still can happen. We can have this puffed up. So we can over-inflate or we can what? We're reminded of what we do not have. Think too lowly or have an under, a deflated view. So it comes to this idea of understanding what? In our faith of acknowledging who God is and what he has offered to us through his own son, redeeming us from our brokenness, it has been what? According to what God has assigned, which means it's not up to you. And that's really hard because that forces you to kind of slide to the passenger seat. And we don't like to be in the passenger seat. I hate, forgive me, I hate sitting in the passenger seat. Because I have no control. You turn left, I guess, whatever you want to do. I'm just sitting here like a bump. Nobody likes that. And that's exactly what happens when we what? We hear this idea of we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. I reminded you what Tony Morita says, God drew us to faith by his grace, has given us spiritual gifts. Therefore what? He gets the glory. How do we, how do we, like, what do we do with this? Very quickly in closing, how do we apply this? No, number one, we, we recognize, just recognize it, accept it, and exercise. So, so at some level, there is, there is an element like, okay, and we're even struggling at, at some points with even recognizing, like, I'm not quite sure. To recognize simply means to, to know something that is perceived a gift becomes very very obvious when you recognize and accept your gift willingly it's a demonstration of god's grace in your life to be used for his glory that's why don't don't bother arguing with god on this god, I, I, excuse me I, I think i think you had me in the wrong line i'm supposed to be up front don't, don't bother trying to fight or contest. It is God's perfect and God's sovereign choice. You present yourself as a living sacrifice. It has the idea of what? You're laying yourself on the altar. So, so God chooses in his sovereign will. The Holy Spirit equips us. And thankfully, this is the delight that God actually uses his his other children, your brothers and sisters, to affirm what gifts you have or what gifts you don't have. You see why this is a prickly subject? And I think about my own, it's really not, God doesn't want us to be in misery, but it's really not up to us as far as what gift he desires to give us. And the, the delightful part, I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is that we begin to go align in his wake that when we exercise the gift that he has given to us, there is amazing sense of joy in that. 
And I've been very honest. I've been very upfront. Even my own call to ministry, like it's totally twisted. I grew up in a Christian home, in a ministry home. I wasn't antagonistic in any way or against. I was just kind of indifferent to it. And I, and I watched many people around me. My own brother, 14 years old, my older brother, and he's called into pastoral ministry at 14 years old. He did really well in college baseball. The, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Toronto Blue Jays called him and said, hey, listen, we'll send you down to spring training. He said, no, I'm done. Put away childish things, and, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to be a pastor. I was like, bud, give it a shot. Do something with it. I watched my brother-in-law get called into to a pastor. I watched these other people, and I'm like, what do pa- pastors, I tell you, they read books and they listen to people's problems, and I don't like to do either one of those things. And I'm like, so it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And God just slowly, I was teaching junior high coaching baseball, just loving it. And the Lord just kind of like knocks and says, no, that's, that's not what you've been called to do. And I, and I remember wrestling and struggling. I, I remember uh, talking for counsel and, and somebody says, you know what you need to do? You got to go, go talk to your pastor because he listens to people's problems. You don't know what you're doing. And that's exactly what I did. And, and when God calls, it is, so, it is so delightful to see that I am like the most ungifted person that exists in all of humanity. And yet God has given to me, I think, one spiritual gift. The gift of exhortation. We're going to talk about each one of these. It's just the ability to motivate and encourage people on to spiritual maturity. And I, and I have in my office the names of 15 men who witnessed that in me. I didn't see it. And they sign a piece of paper after like, they like totally like stripped me naked in front of everyone. And they questioned me and they drilled me. And it was so humiliating. And somehow they said, you have this gift. You got to use it. And that's when you become to what? You become in alignment in the wake of what the Lord is doing. And I delight in reading books and listening to people's problems today. That's what I do for a living. Because what? I I didn't choose this. Nobody would choose this. God offers this and you just accept it. But he uses other people. And you have to be sensitive to that. When somebody lovingly pulls you aside and says, Hey, you're not good at that. You got to listen to them. And you need to speak into their life. That's how we're all holding on to the rope to pull. We exercise, secondly, your gift alongside of others with, with humility and unity. That's when something special happens in the context of the local church. You can tell a healthy church in a heartbeat when people are pulling opposite directions. And there's something beautiful that takes place when we what, pull together in unity. You'll see this later on. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Individually members, we're one of another. You can see the same phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says what? We're all the members of the body. Though many, we're one body. And when you see this word one repeated over and over and over again, that's the way that we're supposed to function. That's how our spiritual gifts or to be exercised. So, so what does this look like? It looks like you seeing other people more than you see yourself. It, it's, it, it means what? You caring for others and serving others. There cannot be, there cannot be, there cannot be a local church that has been called and commissioned by God to be a force for good and a bright shining beacon of hope and light in our community while half of the people are saying, yeah, I, I just don't like what God's made me. No, no, that just doesn't work. You have to accept who God is, has made you. And maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you need to talk with someone and find somebody. Say, hey, do you know who I could talk to? Because I'm struggling with like, what my gifts are. I'm struggling with being part of the body, and I don't feel like I have a place on the rope. Yes, you do. If you've received faith 
and God has adopted you in his own and he's gifted you, you have a responsibility to use that alongside of others. We're going to unpackage that over the next several weeks together. Now, why, why, why is this so important? Because we have to keep the big picture in mind. It's this cross. It, it, it's the fact that none of us are deserving, and God, in infinite love for us, 700 years before what? The celebration of a baby in a manger, before the incarnation. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words, and I just want us to pause and focus as we think about what God has done for us and why it's so important for us to look, look back before we examine our own selves. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said of the Lord Jesus Christ long before, centuries before, and how precise and how accurate God knows what he's doing as he unfurls his plan. He was despised and rejected by men. Speaking of Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from men who hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, certainly, he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was nailed for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sinfulness. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace and chaos. He brought us peace. And I love this. And with his wounds, we are healed. Healthy people, people that have been healed, grab onto the rope and they pull. And it's because, it's because of this reminder that we have for us as a visual object lesson that everything rises and falls in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We are so undeserving. We are so unworthy in our rebellion, in our separation, our brokenness, but God. We know the setting and the scene and the Gospels where Jesus was sitting with his disciples, those closest to him, and, and, and they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're getting nervous. Like it's not looking good out there. And we know what happens, that that Jesus himself takes bread and he says, gentlemen, listen very carefully. I want you to look. He said, see this bread? And he broke it in front of them. And he said, this is a picture of my body. That's what's going to happen for you. You know how it's getting scary and it looks bad? In a sense, Jesus is saying, it's going to get worse. But you don't have to worry. Why? Because he then took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out and he said, what? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. That by my sacrifice, my blood is going to be poured out to pay for your wretchedness. To pay for my sinfulness. Trust me. Trust me with this plan. I love the fact that the story of the gospel doesn't end, what, with a mangled, bloody body on the cross. Or even one that has been wrapped and set aside in a darkened tomb. But the gospel story, what, we celebrate on Easter where the tomb, what, blew open. And Jesus walked out so that the brokenness and sinfulness of our past our sins have been forgiven and we walk in the newness of life and we hang on to the rope and we are not here alone, but we serve together and we see that in the picture of the gospel. We have the privilege and I am so delighted that you have gathered this morning and you see the importance of worshiping and fellowshipping and part of the definition of who we are as a local body of believers called out to gather together for a purpose is right here that we re regularly remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us through the Lord's table. 
And so we have opportunity to do that. So, so we want you to participate. If you are a believer here this morning, you've acknowledged the fact, yes, you're a sinner. Doesn't take a real intelligent person to figure that out. And we know that our sinfulness demands brokenness and separation from a holy God. But God loved you so much he offered his son that you have faith, the measure of faith that has been given to you to say, doesn't make sense, I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to take a step. I'm going to accept God's gift. I'm just going to receive his grace. Then we're going to, we're going to give you an opportunity to eat this bread and drink this cup as a reminder of the body of Christ that was broken and his blood that was poured out for you. And we celebrate that, and we sing about that, and we thank the Lord, and we go out breathing in God's sovereign grace. Elders and deacons are going to come up at this time, and they're going to stand at one of these stations. And, and I just want to give a, a moment for you to quiet your heart and to pray. and Thank the Lord. We're so undeserving, but just thank the Lord for his gift that he's given to us. And if we take a moment of silence just thanking the Lord, I would invite you to just get up. If you are a believer here today and you've acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ and come and, and they will serve you a piece of bread and they'll serve you a, a little cup, any one of the stations around the sanctuary. If you're here this morning and you've not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then please, I would ask you to refrain because it would be meaningless. However, it says in Scripture that today is a day of salvation. Maybe you realize that something's broken. You've been trying to figure life out on your own. It just doesn't work like that. That we understand we're here for a purpose. And that God has called us to be part of the body and forgiven us. Then I would invite you, please take this and celebrate for the very first time. May this cause us to, to look back at what Jesus Christ has done, allow us to examine our own life very carefully and be excited about being faithful and serving him until he comes again. Take a few moments on your own just to pray, prepare your heart, and I invite you to come up. I'll ask the Lord's blessing on both the cup and the bread, and then we will enjoy it together.
Thank you, brothers, for serving us. I love how it's repeated, the phrase is repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, multiple times. When you come together as a church, when you do this, not, not if you do this, this is what we do. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we are amazed at who you are and that you allow us and you've ushered us through the work of Jesus into your presence this morning. I thank you for this picture that has been given to us of your body that has been broken and your blood that has been poured out. Thank you for this bread and this cup. And Father, as we together as family, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we, as we eat this, as we drink this, may, may you in the power of your spirit awaken within us and renew within us an understanding of who we are and how you have graciously gifted to each one of us a very important role May we be obedient and faithful. May we remember this. And may we always serve for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, and we just spoke of this on the very night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said this, this is my body which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, exactly the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time, as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and we look forward to when he comes again. Matt. 